Welcome to the Living Out Podcast, helping people, churches and society talk about faith and sexuality. Hello and welcome to episode two of this current series where we're exploring how to make our churches places where LGBT plus people can thrive. We're working our way through our church audit, which you can find on the website at livingout.org. And this week we're talking about honesty and equality. My name's Anne and I'm joined by my friends Andrew, Andy and Ed. In the last series, uh, you might remember that Andrew asked us what questions we dread being asked. And mine was, do you have any phobias? So I thought I'd just throw that in and ask it to everybody else. (laughs) So, Andrew, do you have any phobias? I feel like I'm not willing to disclose until I know if you're actually going to answer this question. It was your question you didn't want to be asked. I might. Oh, you might. Okay, okay. (laughs) My my actually a phobia, but I'm just a very jumpy person. So it's very easy to make me jump. I do have a particular friend, actually, who loves to take any chance he can to, you know, hide behind the door or something. So I, I've got a key to his house. If I come in and it's suspiciously quiet, I'm kind of on edge, on guard. And I know he's probably going to jump out of me. And the annoying thing is, even if I know it's coming, I'll probably yelp and scream. <laughs> Ed, what about you? Uh, well, I'm not sure if this qualifies as a phobia, but I do have a hatred of people just taking... Well, you've been reading a book really carefully and you've been holding the spine in place so that it doesn't break. And then somebody comes, they're what you've been reading, and then they pick up your book and start reading it, and they break the spine in one cruel move. And that is a moment in which I want to commit murder, really. <laughs> Bit so, extreme, but... Yeah, but I think that probably qualifies as a favourite. I favor, do feel your it? pain, yeah. Yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> That's the most distinctively Ed answer of any podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I'm obviously loathe to reveal this in public because I have various friends who will use this against me. I can't cope with polystyrene. So, you know, when polystyrene comes out of a box and there's that sort of awful squeaky noise (laughs) or or balloons make the similar noise. So seriously, polystyrene or balloons, I'm out the door. I just I just cannot cope with it. So a birthday party with polystyrene cups, not, <laughs> not, not your ideal social situation. Not, not so much, no. <laughs> let's, party, uh, let's, well, let's, let's, party, yeah, that, that's problematic in itself. Party <laughs> with polystyrene cups, even worse. <laughs> well, I feel like I should probably disclose my phobia. Um, so I have a, a fear of buttons, as in, you know, the oh. clothes fastenings. Um, and it's my brother's actually got the same phobia and and there are sort of levels to it so it's much worse if they come off the clothing um two holes are much worse than four holes <laughs> and also the material matters so mother of pearl and cork are just the ultimate worst buttons <laughs> so, and cork yeah <laughs> so i think we might have to pause this what? first of all and also can you just stand up please what? What? How are you wearing clothes? <laughs> How do your clothes stay on? Um, none of them have got buttons. Jean, you got buttons? That's a stud. That's a stud. Oh, oh. Very, very different. Toggles are fine. Zips are fine. Th- I, I thought fine. I knew her. I thought I knew her, but well, yeah, not I didn't know t- this. Yeah, I mean, right. A cork buttons. We're talking about honesty and equality in this episode, so we've all been quite honest about our phobias. So we're working through 10 statements that can help you work out how biblically inclusive your church is and whether it's somewhere that LGBT plus people are welcomed and able to flourish. So let's turn to statement three. 
All in your church know that we all experience sexual brokenness and all are being encouraged to confess their own sexual sins. So why do you guys think that we talk a lot more about some sexual struggles than others? Well, the, the evidence might be that you know, living out exists, a group of people talking about uh, what it is to be Christian, same-sex attracted or gay. There's not a sort of an equal sort of profile of people who are Christians and really struggle with pornography or people who are Christians and really struggle in a whole host of other ways. People tend to keep quiet about other sexual sins that are actually far more prevalent in the church around us and aren't being talked about as honestly as openly as we're trying to talk about um, our experience of uh, same-sex attraction. So in some ways, just the fact that we're here talking and there's probably not enough conversations around issues of pornography or adultery um, in our churches suggests that there are some people who are not being honest. And I think porn's perhaps the biggest, most relevant example. We know from all the stats that a huge number of people in society as a whole in the West, but also within our churches, are really struggle with uh, addictions to pornography or uh, use of pornography that, you know, that, 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 that has quite a hold on their life. And I've... You know, I've I've never heard a minister stand up and talk about that publicly and openly, even though I know that many ministers do struggle um, with that and many other people in church leadership struggle with that. So I do think we have an unfair world, an unequal world, where we talk about uh, our experience of sexuality quite a lot, but other people, uh, because they're heterosexual, uh, don't. Mm. I've I've only ever heard somebody talk about it once at a conference. There was a guy who just gave a really open and honest testimony about his battle with pornography. You know, church leader, married with kids, um, and it, it just felt like an incredibly brave and honest thing to do. But I think you're right. I think more people need to be that open and honest. And when they do, it's transformative in a mm. church. So we had an evening on porn a few years ago at the family church I'm part of, and somebody in the church family stood up and talked about his long-term addiction to pornography. And it was incredibly helpful because suddenly pornography became a thing that people could talk about. And he's had a ministry now amongst men and women in our church who struggle with pornography, trying to help them uh, to be more godly in that area. That's been our experience about being open about same-sex attraction, is that we then had a ministry helping people in a similar position. Um, one of the great things about being open and honest in the right sort of way at the right time with the right support is that you can really help other people in the church who experience the same form of, of sexual brokenness that you do. I think there are some historical factors at play as well, which we're still kind of living with some of the uh, maybe overflow of today. So go back in church history, Thomas Aquinas, who generally speaking I like, he said that same-sex sexual sin is the second worst sin after murder. And actually that's had a very big influence through church history on how same-sex sexual sin has been viewed and had a really big influence. And then when you get to kind of the 1800s, you get the kind of emergence of psychology and stuff, actually the experience of same-sex attraction begins to be seen as an example of being degenerate in some way. And so all these kind of ideas, even though formally now they would be discredited and most of us wouldn't believe them and stuff, and we've got a we rightly recognise no sin, actually all sin is sin. I think there's just some kind of hangover from historical, very imbalanced views, which still probably is impacting the church today. One of the challenges in the church today is your position on same-sex sexual activity has almost become the definition of orthodoxy. And I understand why, you know, living out, we were very keen that churches hold to the, the traditional view that, marriage is for a man and a woman and needs to be 
faithful and and lifelong. But because that's become a contentious issue within church and society, it, it can become a kind of focal point for sexual sin whereas of course the reality is if we're biblical people we know we're all broken we all sin we all fall short of the glory of god at the very least in our thought life and so there can't be any sense in which same-sex sexual activity is a worse sin than others but because of the debates within church and society it's been seen as such Mm. do you think there's some hypocrisy here because it seems as though a lot of churches are and church leaders are less willing to take a hard line on divorce or adultery and you know often church culture kind of reflects wider culture a lot more in those areas um than in the area of same sex sexual activity i think so i think it's being a bit of an us and them thing we've talked in a previous podcast about the fact historically the church often thought of LGBT people as out there, not in here, they're not in the church. And if you're having us and them, it's always easier basically to uh, kind of demonise the other and the them, not the us. And even to take a hard line of things which you feel fairly confident won't personally impact you. If you don't experience same-sex attraction yourself, maybe you haven't known anyone who particularly does or no one close to you has, then actually it's easy to take a hard line on that. Whereas something like divorce, you're almost certainly going to know someone you've married, it could affect you potentially. I just wonder if that's us and them thing actually has been part of how we find it easy to take a very hard line on this area of sexual ethics and not in others. And this is the pressure to be perfect, and particularly in the area of sex and sexuality. And, and, and I've got to be honest and say one of the reasons I was so slow in talking about um, my sexuality was because I wanted to come across as perfect. And I didn't want people to know about an area of brokenness. And I didn't want to have to confess uh, the sins that are bound up in my sexualities to others. Um, Partly because I don't want people to reject me, but also I quite like the idea that a lot of people thought that I was quite sorted and and, and perfect to some extent. I didn't want people to know that I was in a bit of a muddle and was broken, which is ridiculous when when you think about, you know, that the sort of... the position of humility of saying I'm broken and in need of help is the starting point and the resting place for all Christians. But I was so reluctant to be there. And when it came to my sexuality, I wanted to appear perfect. And I think people don't want to talk about uh, sexuality and uh, sex in church context because we want to seem perfect and sorted. And it's probably easier to seem perfect and sorted if you have a sort of outwardly respectable, you know, if you're married with children and that kind of thing. It can be um, from the outside, you can look like you're getting everything right. But what I've been really encouraged by is married friends who have been open and honest with me about the struggles in their marriage and the fact that, you know, they are sexual sinners too. You know, just because they're straight and married doesn't mean that they're getting everything right. They are just as, as broken and in need of forgiveness and redemption as I am. And I've found that really helpful when people have admitted that and you know got alongside me and said we're in the same boat you know you may struggle with attraction to other women but you know I'm married and attracted to someone who isn't my spouse and that's a tough battle too we all need grace. I I wonder whether there's a difference between perception and reality so we perceive that if we're going to be honest about some kind of sexual issue whether it's sexual attractions whether it's pornography, whether it's difficulties in marriage, there's the, the perception of if I'm honest about this, I'm going to lose face. The reality actually is when people are honest, and certainly this is my experience about having 
being honest about sexuality over the last few years is you do generally receive a welcome of grace because everybody's sitting there thinking, well, well, of course, people know they're sexual sinners, actually. It's just it's not verbalized as such. And so I do want to encourage people that that when we are honest, there generally is a, a welcome in whatever issue it is. It's just we don't perceive that that will be the case. I found that actually when I've done talks at churches or conferences about same-sex attraction and I've given some of my story it's been really interesting the conversations I've had afterwards that often have had nothing to do with same-sex attraction but people have told me personal things because it's suddenly like phew somebody is telling me that they struggle with things they're a Christian they're following Jesus but they're finding it hard and they're struggling with personal things and so it does it gives people permission I think to be able to be open and vulnerable and know that they're not going to be judged for it. And it's well worth us sort of articulating why we want people to be honest. It's not so that we all feel bad about ourselves. It's so that we can all remind ourselves of our need of the gospel of grace and of our need of a saviour to save us from our sins, but also our need of a saviour to accompany us and to help us uh, live more and more like him. And I think it's important, you know, a, a campaign for honesty around sexuality and sexual brokenness is not we want everybody to go around feeling bad and full of shame. No, we want everybody to go around increasingly appreciating God's love for them in Christ and the grace that he's poured out on us and to appreciate with a, you know, just a greater wonder um, our new status as sons and daughters of the living God. So I think it's really important for us to say it's honesty with a purpose. It's an honesty to beat ourselves up and feel awful. It's honesty that leads us to Jesus. And as we do the honesty ourselves and as uh, we have people confessing their sins to us, that's where we want it to go. Mm. Because Christians of all people have motivation to be honest. You know, if, if we confess our sins to God, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. James will encourage us to confess our sins to one another that we might be healed. And I think probably in context that has that sense of being restored, being made whole, you know, the thing that's dragging us down has been removed. We of all people have got reasons, to be honest, not to fear being honest, because when we acknowledge sin, well, that's no surprise, because that's why Jesus came. And we've got the antidote. So being honest, open about sins, including sexuality in a whole heap of different ways, should be natural for the Christian. So how can we create a culture of uh, appropriate openness where no one feels superior in the area of sexuality and everybody can receive God's grace? Well, I think, you know, whenever, you know, let's say we're talking about divorce or adultery, or porn, or same-sex attraction, or same-sex sexual activity. Um, we just got to make sure that 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 we that we keep making that very basic point that that all of us have made a muddle of our lives, that all of us are sexually broken, that nobody's sitting there thinking, "Oh, it's just me." And that can be done by simply saying, "Let's remember, we're all broken." Or it can be done, you know, by uh, church leaders preaching into this by the people sharing part of their own sexual brokenness. They don't need to sort of share their deepest, darkest sexual fantasies in public, but a sort of a sense of this is someone who gets me because he, he gets how hard this is in a different context in his life. We, I'm amazed at how you almost pick that up as a, somebody listening in without actually somebody saying too much. There's a humility. There's a 
there's just a sense of, oh, yeah, this person gets it because perhaps not in this area, but in some area of their expression of their sexuality, they get that this is an area that is challenging. This is an area that has produced right and wrong guilt. This is an area uh, in which they've really needed to experience and perhaps struggle to experience the grace of God in Christ. It's no surprise, is it, that often when Jesus says within the Gospels, your sins are forgiven, it's often sexual sinners who are the recipients of that. I I don't think that's a surprise in as much as it can perhaps be the hardest area for us to really sense, really believe at Jesus' forgiveness of us. And I wonder whether, as for those of us who are preachers, we need to make that point more often, not just declare, hey, if you're a Christian, your sins are forgiven, almost to make that explicit occasionally, your sins are forgiven, and that includes in areas of sexuality where you perhaps feel most ashamed, almost to, to make that deliberate point that forgiveness includes the sexual areas, maybe even in areas you've not spoken to anybody about. I like that we yeah, mentioned Jesus there, because I think a bit like and he's in there it's so easy for us to intellectually know what jesus is like in jesus heart so much harder for us to experience it so how do you create a church culture where people can be open about things such as sexuality struggles part of it is constantly helping people to see the heart of jesus remind them of the heart of jesus actually just making that a key thing yeah we talk about we embodying how we relate to each other and stuff as well actually kind of demonstrating that because it just helps us see you know, the heart of jesus allows me to be open and the same thing with the gospel again it's easy for us to know intellectually sent to it but actually to actually to dare to believe as i recently heard someone put it that it's really true and dare to believe there really is no condemnation dare to believe i really am fully known and yet also loved in a way i couldn't even imagine it's so kind of perfect and wonderful just never strain from the gospel and constantly bring people back to the gospel and the challenge to actually do we really believe this deep down and let this shape us then gives the freedom to be honest about what's going on in our lives. There's a little verse in Romans 15 that changed my life. <clears throat> Christ has accepted you. And I remember it was as a 17-year-old, the penny dropping, Jesus knew all about my sexuality and that verse was still true. Christ has accepted you. That changed my life, actually. I, I guess that churches that fail this particular part of the audit are the churches where, let's be honest, sexual scandals are most likely to happen. And the history of the church in the past and the reality of the church in, in the present is that often sort of sexual scandals of those in leadership come from nowhere. And they come from nowhere because people aren't talking about these things. And this is an area of silence. And people don't have people they can go and say, you know, I'm starting to behave inappropriately with this person at church. Or actually, you need to know that um, this I'm regularly accessing these pages on the internet on my phone, or whatever. and that that's what that's what causes the problem. And the devil loves people to be completely isolated in their sin. And one of the best ways of doing that is with sexual sin. And we've got to say that one of the reasons why we want to encourage people to be honest and open about sexual sin is that it breaks the power of the devil over us. It allows people to get the help that they need. And it stops the devil drawing people away from Jesus and allows other Christians to get alongside people who are struggling and draw them back to Jesus. So confessing our sin is actually a way of applying grace to our lives and um, knowing the freedom of the gospel. So we've talked about the need for openness and honesty and the um, benefit in sharing struggles. Are there any kind of limits to that? And are, are there appropriate boundaries that we should have in confessing our sins? 
I think there are, and I think a helpful word to use is wisdom. And just there's wisdom in who you share with and in what context you share. It's easy to think, oh, everyone needs everything. And that just isn't wise and isn't helpful and isn't necessary. But actually making sure that somebody knows and choosing wisely who we talk to, actually finding a, a mature Christian who's not going to be shocked, not going to want to tell lots of people, but actually will help us to think through how the gospel applies to us, help us to think about the wonderful forgiveness we have in Christ, but also both the kind of spiritual support and sometimes really practical support actually for living a holy life. I know for me it's been helpful just realising actually there's wisdom in not everyone needs to know everything, but actually kind of Christian integrity means knowing someone actually knows all that's going on in your life actually. And it's not hypocritical actually, there are some things that not everyone knows, but actually the important thing is someone knows or some people know and they can help you they can help you apply the gospel help you to seek to be faithful to jesus that's great so we are all sexual sinners but we can all experience freedom in christ um, through the gospel after the break we'll be talking more about equality the Living Out Roadshow is in full swing and we've been having some great training days up and down the country. You'll be pleased to know we've got more dates uh, where we'll be exploring sexuality in our culture, the biblical picture and how we can support same-sex attracted Christians at church. So we're coming to Colchester on the 14th of May and we'll be in Dundee on the 28th of May. Head to our website for more information and to book. And also contact us if you're interested in running a course in your area. More details at livingout.org. Welcome back. We're turning now to the fourth statement on the audit, which picks up on the idea of not singling out homosexuality as a special case and emphasises the hope that we all have in Christ. So this is the statement. Same-sex sexual relationships are never mentioned in isolation from other sinful patterns of behaviour or from the forgiveness offered to all through faith in Christ crucified. So why do you think we often treat homosexuality as if it's the poster issue for the immoral state of the world? Because it's so easy to do that. <laughs> you know, we when we did the church audit with my church, in my church family with our leaders, this is what we failed this. And we failed this because just it, we just noticed that in a number of sermons recently, uh, the preacher had a, a pre preacher had wanted an example of what's wrong with the world around us. And they chosen each time same-sex marriage um, as you know a really easy point, and of course everybody was, you know everybody have nodded away and thought, oh yes, that's right. In, in in our sort of cultural context, and it it just meant that we failed this because we, but it was so easy to do it, and it was so easy to do it almost without noticing until we came to this audit and thought, mm, yeah, that's what we do. It's our instinctive response, unthinking response to what's wrong with the world, same-sex marriage. Great illustration done. Everybody gets it. Move on. And having been involved in writing the audit, it was a really sobering moment for me to realise that my own church family failed it and failed it on this in particular. Um, and we've been challenged to change. I mean, even worse, I've failed it. So, um, so I remember <laughs> having done that myself uh, a few years back when same-sex marriage was was going through. Uh, it, it's worth realizing why it's a problem it, it, it's a problem biblically uh in as much as uh, same-sex sexual activity is always a, a symptom of something rather than a, a cause the, the the chief issue is people's rejection of god but but it's also a problem in as much as what people hear so you're non-christian wandering in and same-sex marriage is always your your 
issue around sin. You know, your your sort of non Christian goes in and hears, well, this church really is homophobic. More than that, actually, your Christian who who's wanting to live faithfully for Christ sees themselves as the potential danger, the potential issue, actually without any sense of the sort of support and comfort that God offers. So it's something we fall into because it's easy and it matters. And it matters because it's not as if same-sex sexual uh, activity is the main sinful pattern in my life. I, you know, I, when you look at all the things that the Bible calls out, it, it, you know, it is one, but actually the Bible's really bothered, God's really bothered, Jesus really bothered about the pride in my life and about the anger in my life and about the selfishness in my life and about the materialism in my life, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes, you know, we, we're letting people off the hook. We're letting ourselves off the hook sometimes when we only talk about same-sex sexual activity as the only sin out there. That's damaging for everyone who's heterosexual and it's never been an issue but it's also you know, it's damaging for people like me who start to think this is the one sin in my life it's not it's you know it it, it is it is a very small part of um the sinful pattern of behaviour and actions I have committed during the course of my life. I think picking up on something Andrew said earlier about it's easy to sort of make enemies of people who aren't like us and it's very easy to make ourselves feel better by comparing ourselves with someone who we think is worse. Um, And, you know, I really like that bit in the Bible about the speck in the log um, because we instinctively do that, don't we? We, you know, we're aware of our own sinfulness, but look, there's somebody else worse than me. (laughs) Um, And I think, again, if we don't get statement three right, recognising that we are all sexual sinners and there's no sort of sliding scale of that, that some are worse than others. If we don't get that right, then I think it is a lot easier to sort of target people who, who we see as worse than us. I mean, Paul's letter to the Romans is fascinating, isn't it, in that regard? So you do get, as I've just mentioned, the, the criticism of same-sex, your same-sex sexual activity in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 2 starts with, and you who judge others, you two are guilty. That That's just the progression in Romans. So, um, so anybody who is sort of self-righteous towards homosexual activity, I suspect you will find something in Romans 1, 2, and 3 that you're guilty of. So you just shouldn't do it, really. And, and that is the beauty of the Bible, is that every time same-sex sexual activity is called out as being uh, sinful and harmful to human beings, it's always in the list of a long things that actually, when you read the rest of the list, all of us are called out. That's true, as, as Andy just pointed out, when it comes to Romans 1, 2, 3, it's true if you look at the Levitical uh, laws, it's true if you look at the condemnation of same-sex sexual activity in 1 Corinthians 6 and elsewhere, part of a list in which we're all included. And there's, as it were, equal challenge for all of us, equal condemnation for all of us, as well as equal offer, come to Jesus, be forgiven. Yeah, and I think we just need to get better at calling out things that kind of go unnoticed, perhaps as sort of acceptable sins in our churches. So, you know, consumerism is a massive thing um, in Western culture. Uh, it's something that, you know, we've got... Um, a lot of people from different nationalities, different backgrounds in my church, and it's something that they're quite shocked about, actually, some some of the ways that Christians live and spend their money and consume and waste. Um, and yet I've hardly, I don't think I've ever heard that tackled um, either in a, uh, from the pulpit or from, you know, in small groups or anything like that. You know, pride, judgmentalism, anger, um, all these are things that, you know, we're, we're probably all guilty of to some extent. Um, and yet, you know, we often 
ignore them uh, to focus on sexual sins particularly and yeah particularly homosexuality and i think that when in some ways whatever for whatever sin we're calling out whenever we always want to make sure that as this statement encourages us to, to make sure that we call something out and we name it as a sin and we call people to repentance but we also uh, you know, articulate the forgiveness as an offer in Jesus and the way back. Because I think sometimes in it, in any time when we, we call out a sin, people feel pushed away. Um, we want to help people to see how God is highlighting this, this sin in their life at this particular moment in a gracious way to stop them behaving in a way that's harmful to themselves and others, but also to draw them back into a relationship with him that he's made possible through Jesus. And just that combination of you know of speaking the truth but speaking the truth in love that we see again and again in the life and ministry of Jesus is something that we need to be doing again and again in our lives and ministry and it, it's it's a it's a challenging combo but it's a combo that we need to be uh, returning to again and again and when we have called out a sinful pattern of behavior in a conversation with someone or in a talk or in a sermon always got to ask ourselves, I called out the sin, did I remind them of the gospel of grace? Did I, as it were, help them to see that there's a way back in back through Jesus? I love that. I mean, um, one of my favourite verses in the Bible is Romans 8, uh, verse 1, which says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's the good news, isn't it? I think I, I read that when I became a Christian. And um, yeah, I was very aware of my own sinfulness I probably wouldn't have named it as that at the time but I was very aware of the guilt and shame that I was carrying around and the good news of the gospel was that um, into that came the freedom um, that Christ offers and yeah we the point of calling out sin is never to condemn people make people feel bad and make people feel they can't approach God actually it's so that they can approach God with freedom and forgiveness. And that's fascinating, isn't it? You know, Romans 1 is probably the, the chief passage about uh, homosexual activity. What's the answer to it? Well, the answer is the gospel. You know, the answer to homosexual activity isn't a political campaign, isn't sort of great some great moral improvement. The answer is we're justified freely by his grace in Romans 3. It's that we have peace with God through Jesus, Romans 5. It's that there's no condemnation, Romans 8. And at times the church historically hasn't been brilliant at realising if one of the issues is our sexual brokenness, the answer is actually the gospel rather than political or moral progress. We're talking a lot here rightly about forgiveness and kind of what we call justification, but I think also getting our understanding of sanctification is really important. Getting that right is really important as well. And actually helping people see that when we call out different sorts of sexual sin or any sorts of sin it's not basically saying that god asks us to jump through these hoops or to tick these boxes or or not tick the boxes of the case may be actually you know god invites us to be transformed to be more like his son he ultimately invites us to become more like the humans we're created to be which is being the epitome of uh, true humanity and what it means to thrive and flourish as a human so i think also having all this within that kind of cast and that vision of what it means to mature as a christian what it means to be conformed to the image of christ to become more christ like helps people as well have a good framework within which to put it in which we understand that's both sexual sins and all manner of other things as well and as you think about this isn't the church a great place to be for somebody who's lgbt plus you know here's a place where you can find true love true acceptance be made 
into the person you were designed to be in your union with Jesus. This should give us the confidence, if we do this well, to say, hey, here is the place where you should want to be because it's the best place for a human being to be. And the safest place as well. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. We've run out of time. Um, but if you um, want to do this audit with your own church, you can find it on the website um, and yeah, work through those those statements, talk it all through, um, take it to your church leadership um, and hope that it's a really useful resource both to challenge you, but also to encourage you on the things that you're doing well. So in summary, we need to really make sure that we, as the Bible does, call out everybody on all patterns of sinful behaviour. It's important that whenever same-sex sexual relationships are mentioned, that they're always mentioned in the wider context of other ways of rebelling against God, and also mentioned in the context of the forgiveness offered to all through Christ, which is the really good news for all of us. That's all for today. Thank you, Ed, Andy and Andrew. And thank you to you for listening. If you enjoy us, please rate us and tell your friends. You'll find lots of stories, articles, blogs and more on our website, livingout.org. Bye for now.